Hello and welcome to this season end edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Frank Close here along with Jeff Mosher. Hunter is on other assignments at the moment. Uh, on live, He's live on the radio, so I guess uh, he's not able to join us for this particular show, but we hope to catch up with him soon. But Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, Frank. I'm okay. You know, obviously a very disappointing end to the season for the Phillies. Not a great start to the season for the Eagles. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. I don't know what else to say. So while 16 teams are currently in the playoffs in Major League Baseball, the Phillies are one of the 14 which are not. Now, now Jeff, uh, I remember taking stock with you with 14 games to go, and I said the Phillies just need to win maybe seven of the remaining 14, and they're in. Well, it turns out that prediction would have made them into the playoffs, and they won five. Well, first of all, I think we need to address this, class. What did you see in the last week? The Phillies literally could have won one game out of that last series in Tampa and made the playoffs and they get swept. This yeah, just seems to me this is this is a total disaster all the way around. How with your two best starters pitching, they did not eke out a single game to get them to playoff contention. Jeff, what are your thoughts of that last week of the Philly season? My 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 thoughts are Frank that if the baseball playoffs were extended to 18 teams, it feels like the Phillies would have done whatever possible to be the 19th team in the league it just it just seemed that way I really did think that they were going to back in to the playoffs because you knew they had Nola you knew they had Wheeler going there against Tampa Bay and I knew Tampa wouldn't lay down but you just had to feel good about I can't say that you had to feel good about getting what you that you would get like really representative starts from Nola and Wheeler and and really you didn't from Nola but I, I think in the back of my mind, I always I felt even going into that series that those guys could pitch well and the bullpen could blow it, which has uh, been kind of the theme of the season, right? So and happened for one. So I'm not surprised. Uh, just <laughs> I'm like the father. I'm not mad. I'm just really disappointed. You know, <laughs> it's like come on, you <laughs> well, really by the had way, a chance that, that there. The bullpen was really not the problem in that last series, was it? I mean, it looks like that. It seemed to me that it was just the bats just fell apart. I mean, granted, well, they're, they're, they're beat true. up yeah. a little bit, but but part of it was a clear indictment of the bullpen by Joe Girardi. He clearly had no interest in pitching any of those arms that were acquired at the trade deadline. Uh, in fact, let's, let's, let's talk for a second just about the, the final game of the season, right? So Aaron Nola comes mm-hmm. up small. Now, you mentioned that it seems like the Phillies would have done whatever it took to lose along the way there, so... Why is there a problem? I don't know if problem is the right word. What, what might it be about Aaron Nola that every year his biggest games are not down the stretch? And it, 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 you know, it's one thing in the past we could say, okay, well, maybe he was a little tired, you know, dating, dating back to 2018. He probably could have been right up there for the Cy Young. Kind of fell off the, the map a little bit in September last season. His best starts were not in September. Of course, there's not the same length of season this year. So, is there something about Aaron Nola that he is not ready to come up for the big games? You know, it's a great question, Frank. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think anybody has the exact answer. I don't, it's not like he all of a sudden, you know, I, I don't believe in like starting pitchers or chokers or anything like that. I just think that their, their daily routine is so set and what they do is so set that, you know, some days you'll have stuff, some days you won't, but I don't think the gravity of the moment factors in. Um, but there is, 
there have been some guys like Clayton Kershaw who, for whatever reason, just have not performed well uh, in parts of the clutch. Although Kershaw has even kind of overcome that a little bit over the last few years, even though they haven't won a World Series. So I, I don't know. It seems also that, Frank, that his first few starts of the year uh, aren't always his best. It just seems like he takes a little bit of a, you know, a start or two to get in rhythm. Then he's in cruise control for most of the summer. Uh, or season and then at the end there it does, I, maybe he just I, I will say this maybe mentally because the Phillies have kind of come down to that last week needing to win and, and and usually being flawed in some regard this year the bullpen in past years an anemic offense maybe he has felt the weight of that and taken that with him onto the mound it's really fast so I'm, I'm looking now 2018 you know at the, when September hit he might have been right up there among uh, DeGrom who won uh, for the Cy Young, but but he goes from a 1.06 ERA in August and three and O to in September he went two and three with a 3.72 ERA. Now, for, for for a for most pitchers that's not the worst thing in the world. Granted, he lost more than he won, but 3.72 is not a killer. But then mm-hmm. let's take a, a look at the uh, 2019. By the time you get to September 2019, he was 0 and three with a 6.51 earned run average in September when the Phillies still had a shot last season, right? And then this season, let's take a look at 2020, which, of course, it's kind of hard to break it down the exact same way since he basically had one July start and then you had two months beyond that. But September 2-3, and 3-5-7. So, um, I, you know, we talk about mental makeup. Is, is, is he somebody who maybe just, just feels too much pressure or would it matter? I think, that, I think what you said just there is something we need to look at with Aaron Nola because if this is, is going to happen every year, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you need a different ace. I mean, I hate that. Or maybe he's not an ace. That's what I've heard, of, heard a few people say so far, and I think some of that criticism might be a little bit fair. But Aaron Nola is probably not the worst of the Phillies' problems. Uh, you know, <laughs> certainly. Uh, no, but, but to that point, real quick, because I know, you know, Hunter's usually with us, and Hunter often says he views Aaron Nola as not a number one, but a number two. And that, I think that that's a fair, that can be a fair statement, but it has to be put in the right context. There's not 32 number ones. There's 32 teams, but there's not 32 number one starters. So, you know, DeGrom is a number one, right? It looks like Shane Bieber before the playoffs this year uh, was on his way to being a number one. There's only a, a maybe like maybe seven or eight guys in baseball. It, we shouldn't say one or two. We should just say the elite of the elite and then the next tier. I think it's fair to say Nola can't yet be considered the elite of the elite. Um, there are times where he is, and it looks that way. But as you just detailed and outlined, there's times where he's not. And um, I think that that's what separates him. I mean, you go back and look at like the Grom's numbers in the play in the 2015 world series. He was unbelievable. And even in the playoffs leading up to that. Um, so he's been battle tested. Some other guys who are out there have been battle tested and, and Aaron just needs to, 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 to be that way. It doesn't mean that you have to go out, I think, and search for someone better though than Aaron Nola. I mean, if the Phillies win the world series in 2008 and their number one is Cole Hamels and he wins world series MVP, but I don't even think Cole Hamels at that time was among the top five or six best pitchers in baseball. And after Cole, I mean, you could argue that everybody else was a bunch of number threes on that staff. And by the way, I gave you the whole September numbers, but Aaron Nola in his last three starts, 0-2-6-6-0 ERA. So definitely not, definitely not the elite of the elite uh, pitching right. when, when it really matters. But, but let's face it, Aaron Nola is not to blame for, for all the Phillies' problems. 
really the the elephant in the room right now, if you want to call it that, is the status of of the general manager and maybe even the club president. Because let's face it, we are five and a half years since Ruben Amaro Jr. was let go, and the new era was supposed to be ushered in, and the rebuild take place. Fast forward, the Phillies are a team that probably exceeded the, the luxury tax threshold. And I say probably, we haven't seen the final numbers, but from, from what I can add up, they're beyond it. So five and a half years, max, max salary, <laughs> time and money, nothing to show for it. So what is going to happen to Phillies general manager Matt Clintock is the big question right now. Actually, two separate reports from Bob Brookover of the Philadelphia Inquirer. One, one he talked to somebody who thought that he would stick around, but then he talked to somebody else who said, it seems like a change is imminent. So what are your thoughts, Jeff Mosher? Is a GM change imminent? I, I would be absolutely stunned if a GM change was not imminent. And I don't know how John Middleton can reconcile his own statements last year at this time about firing Gabe Kapler because he couldn't get past the idea of two straight September collapses and wanting to avoid that a third time, having that happen exactly again, and then not making a change, especially when I think it's fair to say that the flaws of the 2020 Philadelphia Phillies, the bullpen is his responsibility and something that he had an opportunity, Matt Klintak, to fix several times over. I know sometimes you get unlucky. David Robertson, hurt, setback, not his fault. But there, every move he made backfired. And a lot of the moves that he made this year, right, to get Workman, to get Henry, those were moves that were made out of panic because the moves prior to that didn't work out. So – and, and on, on top of that, also, when you look at the future, right, Frank, like, you know that this team needs to be reimagined a little bit because in order to improve areas like the bullpen and other areas, they're going to have to pay. And in order to pay those guys, they can't pay other guys. So you kind of worry about the reverse impact happening of, okay, we, we are going to put money into the bullpen and try to get some veteran guys in here, but now we don't have money you know, McCutcheon, we're not re-signing, or JT, we're not bringing back, or DD, we can't bring back. And then you're back to the offensive pitfalls that they had had the year, last year and the year before when they weren't spending money on players. And it all goes back to the point of not developing enough of your own good players that forces you to spend all that money on outside players. So how much of this, uh, by the way, I, I thought it was pretty interesting how on the last day, if you look at the pitchers that, that uh, Joe Girardi ended, <laughs> ended up using, Right, Aaron Nola was the starter, drafted mm-hmm. under uh, Ruben Amaro Jr.'s watch, right? And then he brings in Hector Neris in the fourth inning to put out a fire. And again, a signing under the Ruben Amaro administration. And then, then for relief, he, then he goes to Zach Eflin, who, which essentially would have canceled him out of the playoffs. <laughs> By the way, what, they, what would they have done if they had gone to the playoffs and, and uh, Zach Eflin, uh, uh, Aaron Nola, Hunter Brogdon's first available. official start? <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but, but, you know, when, when uh, you see all the different, um, you know, the way that Joe Girardi was managing in the recent days, it, it, it was almost like that was a, uh, an indictment on, on Matt Klintak. Is that, is, that, is that fair to say? Well, you know, I don't, maybe not in te- I don't think he was, you know, flipping the bird to Matt Klintak. I think it was just Joe Girardi's way of saying, look, I know you tried but these guys have not gotten anybody out for 
weeks now. We, we had that discussion after the trades. And, Frank, I remember us saying, man, look at the bullpen numbers. Even if these guys aren't great, they can't be worse. Well, holy cow, they were worse. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was hard to have forecasted that these guys, who at least had some, some presence about them in other places, had some service time, were going to come in here and just stink up the bed as bad as the old crew did. So, uh, Why do you think I that think, is, by the way? Why, why do you think I'd love that to know. I David don't know, Phelps man. just fell apart? By the way, you notice the Brewers who, who unloaded Phelps at the trade deadline made the playoffs? <laughs> they were two games under 500, and they made the playoffs – if the Phillies had won one more game, perhaps one of the ones that Phelps did not blow. <laughs> right. And didn't Nick Pavetta almost pitch decently in two starts for the Red Sox? Yeah, that, that's, right. yeah that's a great point, Nick Pavetta. <laughs> well, here's the funny thing. Well, it's not even funny, of course. It's not funny yeah. because the Phillies got to the point where they were stretched in with their starting pitching, and they had nobody other than, other than uh, Vince Velasquez to be an extra starter. So, right. so there were two games before everybody got hurt, before Jake Arrieta got hurt, before – uh, Spencer Howard got hurt. They needed a seventh starter twice, even before all that. Mm, and and despite all that, and then, of course, you don't even have Nick Pavetta to throw out there for five innings. And then, of course, Nick Pavetta, I don't, is, is, I don't know, is it salt in the wound that Nick Pavetta actually had two okay starts? Or, or is, is that something that, uh, um, you know, yeah, for the, for the Red Sox, he made two starts, one eight zero ERA in those well, two starts. I'm sorry. No, I'm looking at the wrong stat. I apologize. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's salt. Yeah, it's one eight zero. I'm sorry. I think it's worth keeping your eye on. Does he succeed and reach his potential somewhere else? Um, because if he can, that's an indictment on on the Phillies. Yeah, that that be that, that's. Uh, I I don't know. I I feel like I feel like Pavetta needed a change of scenery. You know, because uh, sometimes sometimes there's all you can do in an organization, and then. You need a fresh start. So what about the, the general manager then? Like, what else could Matt Clintock do? Because my, my concern with Matt Clintock, if he sticks around, he might be overly committed to guys that people with an outside eye might evaluate differently. You think that's fair to say? Well, that and the idea that if he sticks around, he knows he's on the hot seat. And instead of making the kind of moves that I think a new GM might make, which is starting fresh with certain concepts and ideas that, Matt Clintech's in here trying to, you know, save his job and save and make some make the kind of panic moves that result in you spending more money on somebody like the ones at the deadline, to be honest with you. And look, Brandon Workman seemed like a good idea. I'm not like ripping him for that, but, you know, would he have made the, why didn't he go out and get a guy like that going into the year? You know, like there had to been a disconnect between what he thought he had, what he had and then what he had to do to get better. So I, I just don't like the, that's one reason. I think John Middleton has to really take that into consideration. That well, this well, guy knows he's on about, his hot seat. What about what you just said? Like to, to start the year. I mean, I went, I went down to, to, to Clearwater in March before everything shut down. And, and the people that, that were down there were the ones that were there that, that started the season and were there, the bullpen for half the year. Like what, what did he, I mean, they they tried maybe possibly to get Sir Anthony Dominguez out on the mound. I thought for sure that you know, and I'm pretty sure I said that with you guys in the off season before before Clearwater. Like, don't expect anything out of this guy. So, are you was he counting on Sir Anthony Dominguez to really be something? Was he counting on David Robertson to to show up at some point and contribute something? Like, like I, have a I can't hard figure time out that, thinking that. I can't figure out how he thought that was ever acceptable even to begin with. 
I mean, I guess for me, the disconnect is you brought in a bunch of veteran guys that we talked about. None of them were great, but they were veteran and they had been decent, right? The Drew Storens of the world, the Lurianos of the world, the Anthony Schwarzaks of the world, and what, Bud Norris, right? Bud Another Norris. guy. Now, if two of those four are even halfway decent, um, you, you win because none of those guys were, they were all, you know, low risk, high reward type of signings. And the fact that they just cut bait with all of them. And I get it. No, I don't know if anybody else signed any of those guys. Nobody but, um, signed any of them. Now, Francisco Liriano, he was somebody that, that got, I, I, I want to know the whole story with him because for a while he looked like he might opt out and then he showed up and then he ultimately was released, but then nobody else wanted to pick him up. So I, I got to wonder if, if, if part of it was his own doing, but he just decided mm-hmm. to sit out the year. So, so, but, but none of them ended up pitching in, um, in 2020 for anybody. So, right. but, but and they got unlucky. On, they got unlucky with Suarez. I mean, they, you know, but I mean, everybody's in the same boat. You don't know if a guy's going to get COVID or not, but still that's somebody that, you know, I know we all thought would be not just a good arm if he was in the bullpen, but maybe even a candidate for the fifth starting spot. And we like Suarez. But, but here's the thing. Like there's, there's unlucky and then there's the lack of depth, right? I mean, cause yes, I mean, I, I talked to you guys before the trade deadline and, and, and talked to Mike Gill on the air. And I said, look, I still want them to see, I still want to see them get one more reliever. And I, you know, go, go for Trevor Rosenthal, right? By the way, how's he doing for the San Diego Padres? Didn't give up Pretty a single good. run. I don't think the entire uh, rest of the way after the trade deadline for the Padres lights out closer. And then That's right. I said, you need to get another starter. Like you have no, you have no recourse. If, if any one of these starters goes down, I, and what happens? Two of them go down, right? You know, it wasn't, you know, my, my thought was, all right, Jake Arrieta is up there in years. He could be the one to go down. Well, even before Arietta went down, it was Spencer Howard. Right. So, right. so they're, they're saying that you got unlucky, but, but there's gotta be some more depth in this, right? Absolutely. I'm not trying to make an excuse. I was just saying that that would have been an arm that you would have that would help. And, and, and the thought process was David Robertson would actually, you know, the season's not starting until August and that's kind of when Robertson was projected to, to come back. So maybe they were relying on that, but I, but I agree with you. The teams in the, in the majors that knew they had bullpen issues and wanted to, whether it's last year, Right, like the Indians getting Brad Hand or um, who blew uh, finally who blew a save uh, in the playoffs. I, know. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Or, or the Braves going out and you know bringing in Melanson and bringing in Will Harris. Right, like teams that knew they had back end issues uh, went out and did what they could, either last year or this year. And the the Phillies just really didn't do enough, clearly. And that falls on the GM and. Uh, and it goes back to my point of I'm afraid now of the kind of moves a, a desperate GM would make instead of a cerebral one who's got some time to, to make some moves that are, are well thought out. By the way, speaking, speaking of the Braves, they, they spent $18 million to sign Cole Hamels. You know, you know I, I bring this up because you talk about bad luck, right? So they, they signed Hamels after a good year last year. And what did they get out of Cole Hamels? <laughs> they get one three point uh, or three and two thirds inning start against the Baltimore Orioles, and that was it. That's what they got for their for their whole year from Cole Hamels. But you know they've been able to, and not to mention Hamels. Like you know, how many other starters have been been had succumbed to injury, and they they found yeah. a way to have depth. And what well, do you that's know? what I mean. Yeah, when you're when we pointed to this a lot for a couple of podcasts now, when you're the Braves and you've been able to develop your own talent as they have, you know, I mean, they've gone outside a little bit, but they've developed the Freeds and the, um, uh, who's the left-hander? All of a sudden his name is escaping Wait, me. Is it Soroka? 
or Soroka, no, even yeah. though he was hurt. But you know, you've developed your your a yeah. lot of your offensive players, and obviously you have Acuna out there who's one of the best. Or what are the Yankees, you know, and you develop guys like Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez and Luke Voigt then you can afford a, a mistake or a guy making a lot of money like, um, like Mike Stanton who's, or Giancarlo Stanton who's not producing because he's hurt or whatever, right? The Phillies just don't have that luxury. They, they have not developed enough in five and a half years, you mentioned, of a core of a nucleus of cheap homegrown talent that is out there excelling to be able to have those kind of misfires and mistakes. And and so that brings us to the next major major question, and then this is this is a question that, uh, of course, is on everybody's mind. So, uh, in fact, I, I tried to do a mailbag this week, but everybody's question was one of two questions. One is is Matt Clintec getting fired, and the other question was, so what about JT Real Muto? Now the Phillies. Now here here's here's my take on this. I think JT Real Muto is going to get a ridiculous deal. I'm I'm gonna my number in years for JT Real Muto, the contract he's going to get. I say right now he's going to get seven years and $185 million. That is my JT Real Muto prediction. I think he's okay. going to beat the $26 million a year mark because uh, that was the one kind of set by Buster Posey and by Joe Maurer, of course. You know, signs an eight-year deal. Posey was, what, six? I see him coming in the middle at seven years, and I think he's going to exceed $26 mil. So I, my prediction is seven years, $185 million. And so that kind of, that, there's two things to talk about here. The obvious, and let, let's put this off to second. The obvious is, do you, do you bother giving him that deal? But the fact that you made the trade to begin with, and you did not go all the way to make sure that the two years of control that you had uh, was worth the deal. So it's one thing to trade Sixto Sanchez, who looks very, very good and is, is uh, unfortunately got rained out today, who's going to start in the playoffs for the Marlins. Sixto Sanchez, two years of Sixto Sanchez for six years of, I mean, uh, six years of Sanchez for two years of Rio Muto. It seems to me if you make that trade, you need to be ready to win in those two years that you have JT Rio Muto. Now, now Matt Lentak said, well, we traded for two years of, of JT Rio Muto. That was his last uh, statement on the matter. But mm. um, is it me or did the Phillies not do enough to maximize those two years of Rio Muto that they had? No, clearly they didn't. They didn't make the playoffs in either of those two years. And he played well. So, yeah, that, that's the answer. I mean, I, I have a hard time believing that in their minds when they made the deal, they wouldn't be able to extend him. Although, you know, as you've mentioned many times, Frank, uh, they did also make the trade knowing that this man was out to set a record. He was not going to take any hometown discount. He was not going to be paid like a good catcher. He wanted to be played paid like the best catcher and set some records in the process. So they knew that. So maybe their idea was only to get two, two years out of him and see what happens. However, I'd say they did a poor job of planning to build the team around him and Harper. And we obviously saw the results of that. So almost mixed messages, you know, you, you did you really go for the gusto because you signed a couple of guys, including Bryce Harper, but had flaws or are you trying to do this thing halfway? And it feels like it's being done halfway. So to answer your question of what the Phillies should do, I feel like it's hard to answer that without knowing who's calling the shots. Um, ideally, if a new general manager is here and a new president with a new vision for the team, they may feel like, love you, JT, but we've got so many other issues to worry about. We, may, we need to replenish our farm system. We need young nucleic talent in here. And so we're not going to be able to, to afford you right now. Um, 
if it's still Klintak, you wonder if maybe he tries to sign JT to the type of deal you just mentioned, but maybe having an out after three or four years. I don't know if they'll be able to negotiate the out for the that. player or the out for the uh, organization, right? It's usually the, the organization, player. although I don't know if that that's something they're going to be able to get. And I don't think but, I don't think JT would do it, right? I mean, probably not. Probably he's going to be thirty, and you're one of this deal. How long do catchers last? Like I, I feel like. I feel like he's going to get this deal. I feel like someone like the New York Mets is going to pay up seven years and $185 million expecting to eat three and a half of them. Like I, like, like the team that, that seems like something that bad and the Mets are a bad team. Right. And that seems like something a bad team would do. So a, you don't want to be trying to outwit a bad team match bad wit with bad wit and B I don't know that the Mets under their new ownership are going to be stupid about things. You know what I'm saying? Like they've been stupid in the past. They have a new owner. The new owner may think just exactly what I said. Love the guy. I do want to change the culture here. I'm willing to pay, but I'll pay this guy $30 million a year for five years, but not 28 for seven. You know what I'm saying? He may be more interested in, you know, just beating everybody out on the average annual salary than the, than the length of the contract. Yeah, this, this, but I, I think we saw with, with, with Bryce Harper and, and Scott Boris, there was something about – having the number be the biggest number too, you know? So, so I really got to wonder where this, where this is, where this is going to go. So, um, so yeah, the Joe Mauer, Joe Mauer deals and the Buster Posey deals. Um, I think that's, uh, that's going to be what kind of um, sets it for me. And, and for, for Joe Mauer, he was eight years, 184 million. And Buster Posey was six times 26. So that's why I have seven and 185. So it's the highest ever deal for a catcher. And it's it's in between on the years. So, um, but is that a good idea? So you say they may think that, but let me just ask you directly: Is that a good deal to give a catcher who will be thirty years old in year one? Honestly, I don't think it is. I don't think it is unless you're the if you're the Yankees. Yes, if you're the Phillies, who do have a lot of money, but again have have no farm system, no, no nothing of trade value, no way to be able to compensate for a mistake if things go wrong forget about him not performing you could get hurt and miss a year right and how devastating would that be I just don't I think that their focus and their efforts right now should be on having a really good infrastructure to be able to develop talent and then use their money uh, more judiciously and you mentioned the infrastructure now they built that huge analytics department but um, (laughs) but is it anything that made them unique like I think I think I think there's a baseline that, yeah, everybody uses analytics, but there's nothing that gives them the cutting edge. It seems like so far it's been nothing that's put them over the top, right? I mean, am I wrong in thinking that? I mean, I feel like there's a um, – that, 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 and, and actually, unfortunately, there's, there's rumored to be some layoffs and that that, that department is too big, actually. I've, I think Bob Brookover uh, wrote a uh, piece re- recently. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, – but yeah, that, that, that's going to be really, really hard to decide because they have so much else to do and so little money to do it. Because, all right, so let's break this down. So the, the I mean, what move? Gonna, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you look at the money coming off the books, $25 million per year average is, is Jake Arrieta. So he right. won't be back, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say that essentially Real Muto will replace that contract. But then you're left finding somebody to be in the starting rotation for under the $10 million that that. Real Muto made last year, right? Right. right. So that so if 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 it's that simple, I mean, but then the question is, where are you going to find the starter? 
And then, then you have the Didi Gregorius question. Um, you know, what do you do about Didi? Didi was worth every dollar of the $14 million that the Phillies gave him last season. Mm-hmm. I'll probably need at least what the qualifying offer is going to be this year, which could be 18 or $19 million. Can you pay him, so someone like him, $18 million a year? Uh, uh, will you have that ability to do so, so that that requires a raise? Zach Eflin is going to be worthy of a raise this year as he goes up the arbitration chart. So um, Velasquez, you probably non-tender him. So he's probably somebody that's coming off the books. So but when you add up them, and of course, David Robertson's deal is going to be gone. I think that'll be good. That'll free up some money for the bullpen. But, um, but still. McCutcheon? Is McCutcheon? McCutcheon has one more year. Oh, one more year at 15 okay. million. Yeah. So Bruce? So but your McCutcheon point's a good one. Between you know, there's two more years of Gene Segura at 15 per, one more of McCutcheon at 15, and you know they're not bad players. They're good players on this team, uh, but they're probably paid more than they should be. So, so you're you're kind of at a point where you're really getting squeezed. And I mean, in terms of McCutcheon, you love having him. Uh, I will say to this day, he's been one of my favorite players over the years uh, to watch play baseball and and nothing better than him ever back in the day when he was with Pittsburgh. And I think he adds all kinds of intangibles to any team, but, um, but left field is not the hardest position to fill, you know, especially when you I would look to him. trade him if I could. I don't know that anybody's going to trade for him though. Like, I mean, well, with the... I th- yeah, I think there's only one year left and I think a team that's more closer to winning it all, but may have an outfield void to fill. I would look to. You know, then they got to replace him. And, and are you happy with Roman Quinn, Adam Hastley, and, and Mickey Moniak to fill the rest of your outfield? Oh, yeah, get Moniak out there. He plays a mean outfield. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, I understand. Frank, I, I think the Phillies are further from making the playoffs than people, th- even though they've been close every year and seemingly getting closer. The, the issue, as we we're talking about with money, is – trying to get progress. I think there's a statement in the fact that they really added some pretty good talent, offensive talent over the last few years, been getting Harper and getting McCutcheon and getting Segura and getting um, uh, Didi, as you just mentioned, and still not being able to progress from a record standpoint. That shows you that there's something structurally incorrect about the actual entirety of the franchise. How can you be that much better on paper than you were two years ago, but still be in the same spot? So that's why I say, I think, a newer GM would look at this and say, we're not as close as we think. Yes, I get we're on the, on the pre- – it seems like we're on the precipice and all we have to do is add one or two. But, again, how do we add that one or two financially and be able to afford everything else that we need to stay in place? So, I, I, you know, McCutcheon is a guy that if there's a team out there that thinks it's one outfielder away and you can get a triple-A prospect for it uh, or double-A, uh, I should say, you know, just a prospect in general, I would be for that. I also would, would probably consider the same with, with um, Reese Hoskins. You know, guys who play positions where it's really not hard to find talent, like replaceable talent at first in the outfield um, and, and get them while their value is decent. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, at the free agents to be, I mean, the big, big name free agent uh, in the outfield is George Springer. But beyond that, I mean, Jackie Bradley, Jock Peterson, I mean, there's – some nice-ish kind of guys, but I, I, where where should the money go? I think that's the big question. Do you sign a starter like Trevor Bauer or something like that, or a relievers? You really don't have a lot of options. And <laughs> you know, Blake Trinan, who they didn't want to pay for this year, um, Alex Colome maybe, um, but you know, it's certainly not a lockdown type arm. 
And I, yeah. and I wouldn't even say Trinan is. And then Andrew Miller, who's a hundred, um, David Robertson, dare I say, I mean, like really like, like, I, I think this is harder even than just, just putting out money. So I think they have to figure out what they have that they can even trade. Like, like they might need to make some uncomfortable trades to, to really change the dynamics of, That's of my this, point. this organization. Like, but yeah. are you okay then with trading Reese Hoskins? I am okay with trading Reese Hoskins. I think Reese Hoskins is, has obviously he was able to turn it around, but I think he's always going to be streaky. And honestly, you know, a first baseman who's going to hit 25 home runs, drive in 90, uh, 90 RBIs has a, has a good on base. It's not that hard to find something that it, it may, but not be apples to apples. You may get a little bit less, but you have some pretty good offensive players already that you, you, their offense was not an issue. So even if you weakened it a little bit and then put a replacement level player in a spot that, of a guy you get rid of, I still think you're going to be pretty decent, but you need young player. You need young arms. You need young infielders if you can get one. And if any of your older or, or not, not that Reese is older, but if anybody can bring something back to you, that's has young, that's youthful and value, I would do it. And then you have the flexibility then to also still compete because you've got a good lineup. You've got two good pitchers and you can spend some money on the bullpen and maybe even find a third starter who can come in and hold it down. Is free agency the place to do that? Um, It depends on who's running your organization. I think free agency doesn't have to be a place where you spend $50 million to bring in a third starter. But I think some crafty teams have been able to figure out ways to bring in, you know, the Astros have been, uh, have done it. Uh, The Yankees have done it. I mean, the Yankees don't even have great starting pitching other than Garrett Cole, right? But they've been able to have a good enough offense and good enough bullpen so that you can get by with J.A. Happ and you can get by with, um, who's the other, uh, the uh, guy that they run out there? Uh, Not Patrick Corbin, uh, Paxton, right? Yeah, but Paxton, they said, let's see, they've had Paxton, they've had Tanaka, they've had Tanaka. Right, there you go. Uh, you can do it. I mean, the, the Dodgers have done it. There, there's going to be somebody that you don't have to pay a billion dollars to who can, who can hold down some spots, especially at closer. I mean, you, you've got to be able to find somebody that's been better than what you've had for the last three years. When they were good, it's because they brought in a Billy Wagner or they brought in Brad Lynch. There's got to be someone they can find who's not going to cost like a gazillion dollars. <laughs> But the, the, does a reliever who's a closer not cost a gazillion dollars? I mean, Trevor Rosenthal is it like now someone who was injured and then terrible last season, like literally like bad of the bad, right? And then this mm. year locked down. Would you would you take a chance on somebody like him and paying him probably a lot of money on a one year deal? Maybe I probably <laughs> no, not nah, I wouldn't, Frank, because these guys. He's at the peak. That, that's, he's the, the opposite from a business standpoint of what you want to do, which is get a guy coming off his greatest year after he was just kind of so-so for the few years before that. You're really going to look for a team that has a good arm, a good bullpen arm who's a little bit proven but is not going anywhere, and that you can, you, you can give up. Like maybe you can do a um, McCutcheon or you can do a uh, Hoskins for closer type of deal or back-end reliever type of deal. When they got Lidge, how did they get Lidge? Didn't they trade for him? Well, it was Michael Bourne, and uh, that was the centerpiece of the deal, I think, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now, Uh, what's the deal with Osuna in Houston, right? Because they've been able to rely on Presley for all the year while while Osuna was hurt, correct? uh, You know, I don't know if the Phillies would want Osuna if uh, they've stuffed uh, Odubel Herrera in the minor leagues and and don't ever want to bring him back again. (laughs) Well, the franchises are funny about getting rid of their own guys who do that, but then bringing in other guys from other after it's been several years, you know, where where the – 
you know, it's not, it's not that it's forgotten, but um, I don't know. You know, the Yankees are constantly having to change guys for money reasons. Maybe you can get a, a Zach Britton out of there. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that other teams have been shrewd enough to get it done. Yeah, Zach Britton actually is probably a trade candidate. He's got an option year on his deal because uh, when the <laughs> – it's amazing too because the Phillies were basically deciding between Britton and David Robertson and they right. felt that Robertson was the less injury-prone of the two. <laughs> and, of course, Zach Britton has actually given them imagine, – imagine the difference. Like that, that, would, that, that would have been an entire different two seasons if they had Britton and not, uh, not David Robertson. Uh, but, right. yeah, Britton has an option year on his deal. So, um, I mean, the Braves figured out a way to get Melanchon, who's been jumping around. I pronounce his name all the time. Melanson, Mark Melanson, yeah. whatever it is. He was, he's been jumping around for six or seven years, but he always seems to get the job done wherever he is. Sometimes he goes through these spells where he's not so good. But, I mean, that's my point, is that if you're shrewd enough, you'll find somebody without costing an arm and a leg. Is Matt Klintak shrewd enough? No. <laughs> I think it's been proven. <laughs> That's why I say I really think, you know, A, I'd be surprised if he stayed. B, I think a person who comes in, whether it's a Dave Dombrowski or whatever, whoever they would hire, and you can only imagine what Middleton is thinking in that regard, but would have to take serious inventory of what they have and make what I think would be really difficult decisions on some, some players who may have performed well here. I don't yeah, think so he's getting rid of Aaron Nola, but. Now, you mentioned Dave Dombrowski, so I guess the last thing to talk about then is, is if Klintak is fired, what do you even do now? It sounds like the Phillies, if they wanted Dave Dombrowski, would have competition because the, the Los Angeles Angels wasted no time in firing Billy Epler. You know, he's the guy that Klintak worked for last <laughs> before coming mm-hmm. to the Phillies. Yeah, Klintak was an assistant GM under uh, Billy Epler in, in Los Angeles. Uh, they're already being linked to Dave Dombrowski. Uh, <laughs> here's a, here's a, in, in light of all the money problems right now, the Phillies losing over $100 million a year, do they have the money to pay for a rock star GM when there are going to be massive layoffs reportedly? Um, will they find the money for a GM? I would think so. I think John Middleton is uh, going to be all right throughout the COVID crisis financially. And so I do think he, ha- he would have the money. He may have to pay it out. I, you know, but to me, uh, Frank, sometimes finding the rock star is not just about the name, right? I, and look, Dave Dombrowski is great, and I do think he would be a fantastic addition in the same way that Pat Gillick was when they brought him in. Uh, someone who's proven, someone who knows what he's doing. Um, and by the way, I assume by if Klintak is gone, that Andy McPhail w- would have to go that's with a, That's him. the other question, too. Does, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe they don't want to put out the, the money to replace both. I mean, uh, you, you would think that the one's linked to the other, but... Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's that's a real question here. Uh, that that uh, they might not want to go that far, right? Well, um, I I I wouldn't mind if they w- were a little bit forward thinking though, and went after uh, you know AGMs from from franchises that just really do it well. Whether it's uh, you know you know it's funny the AGM of the Yankees is never you know, like you never hear his name up for the job, but he's a guy who's probably learned under. Under, Billy uh, Epler was Cashman. one of those, and just oh, right, right. by the That's, Angels and, yeah. and Clintax work out. <laughs> mentor. But actually, there's there's a pretty good article on MLB.com. This is a, this is a few years old, but you know some of the names that that they were talking about as as GM prospects. Almost none of them have become GMs. <laughs> mm. yeah, this is this is as of the time that that Matt Clintac came on board and uh, Jason McLeod of the Cubs, JJ Piccolo. He did get the opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle Stark, Pirates, Doug Harris, Nationals. 
Heim Bloom is on here, of course. He is now the. Bloom, uh, of course. Yeah, he is on the Red Sox now. But uh, Michael Gersh from the Cardinals, Dan uh, Kentrovitz, Athletics, Jared Porter, Matt Arnold, uh, Brewers. Uh, but anyway, the, my point is, there's there's all these there's plenty of assistant GMs out there um, if they're willing to 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 find one. Now, I, if you look at the Yankees front office right now, the, I guess the big name from the Yankees front office that was, um, I guess it was Epler. That they got the opportunity there. Well, let me ask you this in the intro. Give me someone from the Indians front office because they know how to develop pitchers uh, probably as, as good as anybody. And I know Churn, Mark Chernoff is the – Mike Chernoff? Mark Chernoff. Wait, which one's the Mark, broadcaster? I know. One of them is basically <laughs> responsible for, you know, WFAN being like one of the greatest sports talk stations in the world. The other one's the son who's yes. uh, done a good job at, uh, with the Cleveland Indians. But they – they're, they're fantastic at developing pitching. And Mike, also is the, been, Mike is the general manager in Cleveland. Right. Mike Chernoff is. So uh, I think their assistant is like uh, Sky Andrzejczyk or something like that. Um, yeah, they have Sky Andrzejczyk, they have Matt Foreman, they have Carter Hawkins. So they've got, three yeah. vice, they've got three assistant general managers. Yeah. So I know in saying that, what I'm basically saying is go get your next Matt Klintak, right? A guy who's underneath a guy that you think is forward thinking. But I don't want to be – I don't want to just – push that to the side because it didn't work with Clintac. I just want this team to be smarter about its decision. Although to be fair, if you're asking the question, Frank, maybe it's best for a guy like John Middleton to just go out and get a Dabrowski, someone who's proven himself that's, because that's, maybe he doesn't have look, that eye. If you look at last year, that's what he did with the manager, right? He said, I'm not, I'm yes. not playing around with the next, the next prospect of a manager. I'm getting a, a tried and true guy to see if this thing works, which, which basically seems to be an indictment on the GM, right? I mean, that, I mean, if if uh, if Joe yeah. Girardi wasn't able to do it, then then of course who else who else would? So I think that's that's uh, that makes me think that he's going to go after somebody more seasoned. I don't know exactly who that is at the moment. I mean, you could go for a retread like a JP Ricciardi or something that you know former GM of the Blue Jays, right. uh, Sandy this, this, Alderson. And here's a question: Do you do you do you promote from within? I mean, <laughs> does Ned no. Rice getting a charge uh, getting a <laughs> no. shot? I mean, Ned Rice worked under both. I yeah, don't know. I, yeah, no, no, thank you. <laughs> Fresh blood, please. <laughs> All right, so so we'll we'll have to see what happens with that. Uh, so you don't want to go internal. You probably got to go outside. Uh, got to pay somebody who is going to be very very expensive. But uh, that that's something we're gonna have to to keep an eye on. Certainly, uh, is to where they could possibly go and. Uh, are you, are you uh, one, one last question because our time is mm-hmm. pretty much up. Could you handle another rebuild? Uh, did you feel like Gillick had a rebuild or just reshape? That's a great question. I think Gillick well, re- reshaped. It's not fair, though. It's not fair because they had the nucleus, right? They had Jimmy. They had Ryan. They had Chase. They had Chooch coming up. So they, they had that nucleus. I don't know how I feel about this team's nucleus. You could say they have Bryce. They have Nola, they have Reese, they have Wheeler. So they do have talent. I do think someone who has to – the problem is they just have nothing on the way that can help them. You know, like they, they need like that – the way Victorino and Worth were able to – I do think that it doesn't have to be a full-on rebuild. I just think they need a smart guy who can bring in the right type of talent but also be able to make the moves to replenish the farm a little bit. It's really kind of hard to figure out who they have in the system when there was no system this year. So you got, you got your two prospects up in Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard. Beyond that, it's, it's kind of hard to say who the Phillies have. And unfortunately, uh, with no 
no minor leagues last year. We don't, we don't really know who's kind of moving up and it's almost, by the way, that's, that's, that's a, that's a baseball wide kind of thing, right? I mean, you don't really know who could have found their way, found their way up. And, you know, you look at their top prospects, Adonis Medina, you saw a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're ready to give him a start because you couldn't see him pitch this year, uh, except for that one spot start he made. And um, Francisco Morales, Bryson Stott, they're, they're a little too far down. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't even know. Uh, I'm just, I'm just reminding myself who's in the system. There's so few of them. That, I mean, exactly. They had Eniel De Los Santos as their number nine prospect and he was cut oh. in the middle of this season. So, I mean, that should tell you just where the Phillies are. Raphael Marchand was seven. He, he had to jump up. Um, but other ones, uh, Francisco Morales as a pitcher, he never played past Clearwater. Luis Garcia never played uh, um, past, uh, um, I think he was in Lakewood. Lakewood, right? yeah, he yeah. was in Lakewood. So, like, what do you have? I think that's that's kind of hard to say right now. But but that's the way for a lot of teams. We will have a very busy off season, I'm sure. And if any major major news breaks, Jeff, I think we'll we'll try to we'll try to hop on and and have a show sooner uh than than later but we hope to be with you the, the whole off season so please in, in, indeed follow us wherever you find your podcasts uh for frank close jeff mosher this has been the powder blue podcast we will catch you next time <laughs>